0: All right, before I get to my next guest, Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley, I want to give a shout out to our friends over at Positive Vibes Golf. You can find them online at PositiveVibesGolf.com. Give them a follow on Twitter at pvibesgolf. Golf. Their head covers and putter covers, folks, are a unique way to keep your mind focused on positive thoughts and a great on-course training aid as well because they help you stay positive by putting positive, happy images in your mind. I mean, every time you walk back to your golf bag and you look at your head covers, you're going to smile. See why I say that by going online to PositiveVibesGolf.com and give them a follow on Twitter at p Golf. This segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret that pros know. A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is uh, is Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley. And again, two of the great instructors in the game. Let me give you some background on both of them. Shane is the director of instruction at Mirabel Club in, uh, in Scarsdale, Arizona, and also at Knollwood Club in Lake Forest, Illinois. He's been named by Golf Digest as the best in-state in Illinois, and Arizona Foothills named him best in Valley. He's a Plain Truth Level 3 instructor as well, and a fantastic guy, and I'm, I'm very excited he is back. And we got Stan Utley as well, and he has been a top player and instructor for years going back to 1980 when he won the Missouri Junior Championship. Played his college golf, like I say, at the University of Missouri, where he was a three-time All-Big-A Conference selection and twice named all american Led the Tigers to the Big Eight Championship in 1984 and was elected to their Athletics Hall of Fame in '95. Joined the PGA Tour in 1988. Won the '89 Chattanooga Classic plus three times. You won on the Nike Tour, what you know you guys know now as the Corn Ferry Tour. But he was third on the Nike Tour money list in '93. Holds the record, oh by the way, for the fewest putts over nine holes with six in the 2002 Air Canada Championship. Golf Digest, is, uh, Golf Digest has named him uh, as a top twenty instructor in America and his and his client list is very accomplished. And I'm very honored that both of these guys have taken time out of their busy schedules to come and be a part of the show. Hey Stan. Hey Shane, thank you very much for coming on and being a part of the show tonight. Hey, nice. Chris. We nice to
1: appreciate
0: you having us. having us. So Shane, uh I want to start with you tonight. And um, you know, Let's let's talk about getting right into the heart of helping helping our listeners improve their golf games because many of us are just now starting to see the temperatures get to a point where we can think about getting the clubs out of the garage and shaking the rust off of their swings and and Shay one of the things that I remember growing up as a kid I always remember Jack Nicholas talking about how he would get with Jack Grout and uh, essentially reconstruct his swing every year from the grip all the way through. Because he didn't want to come out of you know the, the winter of you know start out with bad habits, and then you know having to get uh, his his whole swing reconstructed. So we start from the foundation with the basics and go from there. I'm curious to get your thoughts when you are starting to see you know your your uh, students coming out of hibernation, if you will. Well, how do you get them going again so they don't ingrain bad habits?
2: So so that happens you know, when I get back to Chicago, obviously. Uh, May rolls around and everyone's ready to go, but they've been, as you say, hibernating all winter long. So the first thing that I focus on is getting them to make solid contact. Like we've, we've got to get the club on the ball so that they've got confidence to keep going forward. If we can't find solid contact, we're in trouble. So I'll, I'll do things, little drills that are kind of hip high to hip high where they can get some compression on the ball, start to get a feel for impact getting the club back on the ball, interacting with turf versus a lot of people over the wintertime are on mats and mats and turf, are they're not one and the same. And uh, just getting that feel back of, of what it takes to put the club squarely on the back of the golf ball. And then we kind of evolve from there as the ball flight is, is, is telling me what to do, what direction to send that player to go.
0: And Shane, for those folks who weren't with us last time you were on the show, you're a level yeah. 3 plain truth certified instructor. Talk about what that yes. is and talk about what that philosophy is all about.
2: So, the, the the plain truth founded by Jim Hardy, um, hall of fame instructor and and we are um for for lack of a better term and uh, kind of human track men. And and our our job as, as instructors is to interpret the golf ball to the person. Why is my ball doing this? Why is it going too far right? Why is it too far left? Why is it too short? How come it's not high enough? Whatever the case is. So our job as an instructor is to be an interpreter for the golf ball and then explain to the student what the student needs to do uh, relative to what the golf ball is doing uh, to make the club perform different, to make the ball fly different. And so the plain truth, our education is greatly Uh, geared around what did the club do to cause the ball to do what it did? And what did the golfer do to make the club do what it did to cause the ball to do what it did? And so we're very impact ball flight oriented instructors, um, trying to improve an impact. And, and that's kind of the, uh, a little bit of the gist of our, of our plain truth system. It's not a one size fits all. A lot of people think plain truth and they go, Oh, uh, Matt kuchar Everyone swings like that. Well, no, no, it's not, that's not how it works. It just happens to be that's how Matt kuchar swings. Um, it's about fixing every individual with their unique set of problems versus trying to kind of put everyone, uh, certainly not all golf instruction is this way, but, but trying to put everyone in kind of a, in kind of a shoebox of information. Well, you're going to get worse before you get better. Or if you can't do these six things, then, you just need to go out and keep practicing and it eventually it's going to come to you. And so there's, there's a variety of different ways to, to swing a golf club. There's a variety of golf swings in the hall of fame and not many of them look alike, by the way, not from a grip setup, stance, posture, back swing, down swing, follow through, finish, you name it. They don't look alike. And so I think that, I think that oftentimes golfers in general sort of have a, they have an idea or a theory of what they think their swing should look like. And they're more concerned with what it looks like than how it actually performs. And the performance part is where, where we live. How does it perform? How does it perform under pressure? Can you rely on it? That's, that's where we live.
0: Dan, I want to get uh, some thoughts from you as well, but before we start getting into the golf swing and, And uh, some playing tips. I want to go back to your time at the University of Missouri. What was it like for you in college, you know, battling for a Big Eight championship against schools like Oklahoma State? They had some great players that you had to face, and Scott Verplank and Andrew McGee at the time you were there. What do you remember about some of those great college battles?
1: I would would say it wasn't really a battle. We just slipped, slipped up on them. Missouri was never known as a golf powerhouse, and it was interesting during my stint there. Coach Poe gathered up a bunch of guys that I would say were very self-motivated and nice players, and he gave us a, he gave us a chance to travel and compete against the best teams in the country. And we all just kind of gradually got better through my four years of school. When we won the Big Eights in '84, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were ranked between one and three all year long. And I do believe they finished two and three at NCAA's and our team was kind of a top 20 team. We, we got much better, but, uh, it was a thrill to sneak up on them and shoot the low score at the big eight championships my senior year. Uh, you mentioned Verplank. He did win the tournament. He was a freshman and, uh, he was obviously the best player in the field, but, um, I'm proud to to have played golf at Missouri and uh there's they still have a nice team back
0: there. And Stan, when I was looking over your record on the on the PGA tour, you got your first victory just up the street from where I am in Atlanta. You got went up to Chattanooga and the Chattanooga Classic in eighty nine. You got a win there. Um but it was but I saw that you were a sponsor's exemption to get into the tournament and then you won the whole darn thing. What do you do? You mind sharing uh, your memories from that event? Well,
1: the the irony of the you know the bio you read was I was not on tour in 1988. I was not on tour when I went down the 18th hole of the tournament. It wasn't until I made the last putt and won the tournament that I joined the PGA Tour. So I was I had just come off the Kansas Open and the Missouri Open. I was playing the mini tours. In 1989 and and i had done that since i graduated school in 84 so i was fortunate that i did monday qualify for chattanooga in 88 and in 89 they gave me an exemption and uh i was coming off having played a couple good tournaments i do feel like that it it's always appropriate to share the fact that I had just made friends with Dr. David Cook, a sports psychologist, about a month ahead of my victory. And he had really given me a plan on how to kind of think consistently over every shot and be mentally prepared for the pressure situation. And it was uh, obviously a life changer to come down the last hole and make a birdie putt to win by one and, and join the PGA Tour.
0: And then you flirted with fifty nine a couple of different times on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour and in the Louisiana Open and the Miami Valley Open in '95. Shot sixty two in each of those tournaments. What was it like going on a run like that twice? Well,
1: uh, the the first time was uh, an interesting week in that I the scores were very low in Lafayette, Louisiana. And I made the cut on the nose at four under, and I can't even tell you how far back I was, but on Saturday, I shot six under, so I got to 10 under through three rounds, and I was still eight shots behind, and when I came out Sunday morning, to say the wind blew hard, the only way I can really justify how hard the wind was blowing was it's the only day I remember ever golfing without wearing a hat because it was too much of a bother to keep it on. That's how hard the wind was blowing. And we've all heard about going in the zone. Well, I guess you'd have to say that happened to me that day because I turned the front nine and seven under and went to the back nine and shot three under. And the person who was way ahead in the tournament was Keith Fergus. And he told me after the fact, he said he was even par for the day and it never even dawned on him to look at the leaderboard until he walked off the 17th green because he just knew there was no way anybody could catch him. Uh, so I keep trying to figure out how that happened because it it, uh, it was a pretty special day.
0: And Stan, to go through the list of players that you've worked with would, would take too long here, but it's, a, like I say, a very impressive list. You've got a couple of great friends of the show that are among them and Olin Brown and Sean McKeel. Curious to get your thoughts of working with those guys, memories of uh, of what you worked on with them.
1: Well it's uh when you're working with tour players like Owen and Sean, you're you're rarely doing a lot. And I would say much of what I do teaching is what I call sequence based. And simply put the club head or the putter head should swing the most in a putting stroke. And when you're working with a tour player, they already have their stroke. And I'm simply trying to get the parts to move in the right order in the right sequence. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I can't tell you what I worked on those guys with because it's been a long time. And, uh, you know, the the best example I could give and the person who really put me on the map was working with Jay Haas. And anybody from the show that can think of Jay Haas's swing, his first move and the takeaway is his handle kind of dragged the head a little bit. Well that's a that's a good way to start a golf swing if you're gonna make a full swing, but if you drag the handle on a putt, you've really moved the whole stick, you haven't swung the club head any. And I find that to be true a lot. If if somebody's setting up with their hands behind the ball or they're they're so against using their wrist that I say they use their wrist backwards, uh, that was kind of Jay's case. He would move the handle about three inches back and then start the putter head back. And so if my job is to get the putter head to move first and swing freely at the bottom of the stroke, and that's usually. The biggest
0: thing I do with tour players is just put them back in sequence. And Stan, I'm a big fan of the Orange Whip, and and I know you've done a lot of work with those guys. And and uh, I've got one of those uh, wedges right here sitting next to my desk. Um, for for folks who don't understand, you know what that is for, and how that can help us improve our chip shots. Talk about what that whippy shaft does and what it tells us and how we can make that work better for us and hit better chips.
1: Well, I'd say the, the overall line of orange whip products, which Jim Hackenberg created, uh, it allows this, the player to feel the load and unload of the golf shaft. And because he's kind of counterbalanced both ends, it's a very exaggerated feel, but it, it gives you rhythm and tempo. and, the orange whip wedge really evolved out of Jim coming and taking a chipping lesson. And I was like, Jim, the reason you're struggling chipping is you're doing the opposite technique of what your orange whip trainer causes you to do with your swing. And as we work through that, lots of people have seen this on video, but I don't know they understand that right before the club impacts the ball on a good swing, the shaft is bowed away from the target, not toward the target, which means the golf shaft is unloading itself if it's swung properly. So to use the orange whip wedge properly, as you make your swing, you need the handle of the club or the top of the grip to be slowing down or almost stopping in order to get the club head to release itself and swing past your hand. And I see most of the people that struggle with chipping, their hands are traveling toward the target as fast as the clubhead. Well, I like to call that bad math because if you're moving your hands as fast as the clubhead, you've defeated the purpose of swinging. That's called dragging, and that's not a very effective way to play golf. So to feel the load and unload of the orange whip wedge shaft is really the secret to learning how to use it and having that help your your regular club chip and and swing and use the bottom of the club properly in the turf.
0: Shane, I want to get a couple of playing lessons from you, for our listeners, and for those of us that are struggling with the sort of over-the-top, pull-hooking the ball, how can we do a better job and hit straighter shots?
2: So the the over-the-top and and pull-hookers, they're always steep in nature. So if you were to visualize a Ferris wheel versus a merry-go-round, uh, one goes up and down, one goes around. And so the golfer that's pull-hooking and chop-slicing, you kind of don't get one without the other, by the way. Um, if you chop-slice, you pull-hook. If you pull-hook, you chop-slice. If you do both of those things, you can't hit a driver. But you might be pretty good at hitting a two-iron over a tree out of a divot because your angle to the ground is so steep. So your golf swings become too wildly, too vertical. So in a sense, what you've got to do is you've got to find a way to get your swing path more rounded or circular or or less oriented north and south and orient the thing a little more east and west. So doing things like, you know, if you think about it, Chris, if you were a kid with a stick and I I said, hey, make it go whoosh. You take the thing back and you swing it around and the stick would go whoosh. You would do that in a circle. Uh, you wouldn't do that straight up and down with a locked arm. It would become rounded, and that would create a wider bottom. And then now, all of a sudden, you've got a better angle to the ball on the ground, and you can, you've can you now ended your chop slice and pull hook. And hopefully, your handicap's dropped in the process. Um, <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of the, the gist of that right there.
0: And Shane, speaking of better wedge shots, you've got a great tip for how to avoid Blading a wedge shot and having it go screaming across the green. Can you talk us through how to, how to set up and execute that chip shot better? I can, but,
2: uh, you know, it's interesting since you've got Stan and I both on the, you know, Stan and I have become such dear friends and, and I, I oddly, one of the greatest things about my relationship with Stan is how much he teaches me about short games the wedges and the putter, and because of him, I think I've become uh, a much better instructor, uh, especially on the short game side of things, because I was uh, maybe flailing around a little bit, trying some things and had some ideas. But watching the success he has, and certainly uh, if anyone in this audience has ever had a chance to see him play or gets an opportunity to play with him, uh, you you will see some incredible golf shots. I think we ought to have Stan answer that one.
0: (laughs) All right. Stan, what do you think?
2: I I think kudos go all the way around because
1: my I, I like to say God seldom hands out the whole package when it comes to golf. And uh he he obviously gave Shane a big dose of swing and he gave me a big dose of short game. So it makes us good scramble partners and good coaches if and uh <laughs> it's pretty fun that it's pretty fun that we share students all the time. But uh if you're trying to get rid of the, the skull or the blade or the chunk, the, the truth of the matter is almost exclusively your problem is you're pulling the grip in the downswing and you're making your angles of your wrist back up instead of unload. And people are so scared to use their wrist that they use them backwards versus you need to use your wrist to get the club back down in front of you and catch up with your hands, not stay behind your hands. And I like to say that ever since Gene Sarazin added bounce to a wedge, every wedge engineer has put it on there. And if you have your hands more forward than the angle on the bottom of the club, you're insulting the engineers. The bottom of that club is not the lead edge. It's the back of the flange. And if you want to quit blading it, slap the ground with the back of your wedge or the bottom of your sole right behind the ball, the clubs are designed to glide through the wedge. They even named my ping wedge the glide wedge. So it's designed to slap the ground, and if your club slaps the ground and skids through the turf, the equator that ball will hit up on the face and you'll get rid of the skulls and the blade. Now, the one the one thing you always have to do is, because golf is a small pivot, when you finish, you need to finish standing up tall on your left leg. So if you if you release the club and dive on your back leg, you'll hit the ground too soon. But if you finish tall on your front leg or your lead leg, you're gonna
2: make good contact. I always have the image in my head of a duck landing on the water when he starts talking about the bounce. Like you you you've never seen a duck land on the water, toes down, they come in heels first and glide right in there. You've been saving that one, Shane. Where's
1: that been? You didn't tell me that. <laughs>
0: Dan, with, with all of the technology and the things that have changed over the years, has it caused you to change your approach to the short game or putting, or has that all stayed pretty consistent over the last 10 or 15 years?
1: Just left the course about an hour ago from teaching a lesson, and I was explaining to my student, I said, I have not changed my theory of short game any, ever. But it is my goal every day to tell my message more clearly and more effective. So the game remains the same. The ball sitting on the ground, and you're swinging a stick at it. The more efficiently you swing the stick, the more solid you hit the ball. And a big part of golf is once you make solid contact, you have to kind of be able to predict what's going to happen. So particularly in short game, when it comes to putting, you're reading the speed of the green, you're reading the slope, when it comes to chipping and pitching, you're reading the lie, and the cleaner the lie, the better the strike. The more spin the ball, in part, the club puts on the ball. The, you know, if you're coming out of wet grass or long grass or uh, a situation where you can't get the face on the ball, you're not going to spin it as much. So your strategy changes based on the conditions. But making solid contact, that that methodology in my mind doesn't change. It stayed the same.
0: Then I watched a number of your putting videos recently, several tape with my last guest, Craig can when the two of you were on the golf channel together. And and in those videos, you talked about making a fluid putting stroke, which is probably why I don't make as many putts as, as I should, because I'm sort of locked down with my wrists and my elbows, trying to make a pendulum stroke by just sort of rocking my shoulders. How should I be swinging the putter?
1: Well, my first question when you're telling me you're rocking your shoulders is, I like to ask people, how talented are your shoulders? If, you, if you're going to do an activity that takes a lot of touch, I'm not sure your t- shoulders have that much touch. <laughs> right. I, I can boil it down to uh, my friend, Brando Chambly called me a few months back and talked about, he had studied the kind of lineage of putting instruction through the years and he he mentioned Horton Smith, and Horton Smith's another Missouri guy that happened to won the first Masters, and I have Horton Smith's book on putting, and in his book written in about 1950, there's a quote from Sir W.G. Simpson, The Art of Golf, 1887, and it said, A good putting stroke can be made by a combined use of all arm joints, And I think the key word there is use of, not restriction of, arm joints. So my mentor, Mr. Lanning, told me to use what he called dead strength or or let the dead weight of the club create the energy of the stroke. And I use my arm joints in a fluid motion to let the dead weight or the pendulum drop itself. And I make sure that people understand I'm not talking about a loose grip. I grip it with authority but my joints are free to swing, and that means my wrist, my elbow, and my shoulder joint on both arms are letting the club swing freely. I'm not saying my shoulders don't move, but they do not drive the stroke.
0: And Stan, for those of us who struggle with developing feel and distance control on our putts from, say, 20, 30, 40 feet out, how do you teach your students to develop that feel?
1: First off, I help them realize if, if they're watching golf on TV, the majority of people that they see on TV, their follow-through is shorter than their backswing. Your listener does not know that. They need to start watching for that. And the reason I see that happening, I believe, is because the putter swings back big enough that they can allow the dead weight of the club to fall into the ball. And the ball, the the, con- the contact with the ball – is supposed to slow the club down. And I'm always teaching people that I feel like they're struggling with their distance control because they bought it in this theory of through ball. And it took me a while to figure out what through the ball means. Through the ball means the ball's already left the building. It doesn't do you any good. It only does you harm. And when you figure out that you just need to let the putter crash the ball And the follow-through is what it is, but you don't need to help it. I'm not saying stop the putter, but I'm saying allow the ball to impact the speed and the distance the putter follows through. And when you start finding what I call dead weight, the distance control really comes out of the length of the backswing. You swing back big enough to let the putter crash the ball and hit at different speeds, and, and you change speeds of the putter head simply to change distance.
0: Shane, one more before I let you guys go. And and one of the great things that I love about your website is is you talk about how to handle performing under pressure. Whether that's in yes. a tournament, whether that's club level tournament, if that's in a junior tournament, or if that's just you know you are going out and playing with your buddies and and you're coming down to who's going to end up buying the beer at the end of the round. Talk about how you teach people to deal with that.
2: Well, everyone's situation is a little different, obviously. Um, you know, pressure for Stan firing that 62 or winning a PGA tour event might be a little different than, uh, a nine hole golfer, you know, trying, trying to break 50 for the first time, something like that. So everyone's pressure is a little different, but something that I've come to believe in is that it's a great athlete champion. Uh, they don't run from, uh, the fire, meaning that. Uh, You get to that first tee, you've got those first tee jitters, you can feel the butterflies in your tummy, whatever the case is. Uh, Most golfers want to run from that feeling. They want it to go away. Uh, If there's some special drink they could take and it would go away, they'd all probably do it. But but it doesn't happen that way. And I think the champions actually use that feeling to their benefit. Uh, Champions, good players, are selling under the gun or under pressure, whatever that situation is for that player, is that they, they've got that feeling and what they realize is that the truth of the matter is this,
1: <clears throat> is that
2: when you have that feeling, what that means is that you're capable. And, and Chris, you'll know this. If you, you you've ever taken a buddy of yours who's never played golf before, uh, maybe out on the golf course and y'all get to a, a par three and it's over water and you, you hand him a seven iron and say, so you just try to hit it at that flag over there. And the guy walks up there and just smashes one, hits it over onto the green and looks at you with this look on his face like, now what? Because he's got no, he's got no concept of what, what good is or what his ability level is to achieve that goal. Right. And so he'd have the same look if he, if, if, if he hit it in the water, he'd look at you and go, okay, now what? And so what happens when you have that, that feeling and you want to use it to your benefit, the truth of the matter is you have that feeling because you are capable if you're not capable of achieving what's in front of you you literally will feel nothing and so the fact that you have it is is, is should give you a sense of confidence and i have i was waiting for this i kind of need this and now 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 i'm prepared and i got it and this means i'm good enough to achieve what's in front of me and here we go so uh i think that when players run from that feel uh they get themselves in trouble i think when players kind of realize why it's there and that they're capable of achieving it Use it to your benefit. Uh, you, you now have much better
0: results. Shane, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing on your website and on social media as well.
2: Uh, website: Uh LeBaron, just like the Chrysler LeBaron, and um, uh, you can follow me on Instagram at sLeBaronGolf and on Twitter. LeBaron Golf.
0: And Stan, for you, for our listeners that want to learn more about the, and tap into your genius on the short game and putting, how can they get a hold of you or stay up to date with what you're doing as well?
1: Well, the the thing I'm most excited about is I have, I have an app, app now called Stan Utley. So they can go to the app store and download a Stan Utley app. And uh, it's a subscription-based app where they can watch me give video tips and Interact on my app with me personally. They also can go to my website, juststanutley.com, if they're looking to book a lesson or come see me. And uh, I also have Twitter and Instagram, that uh, juststanutley, to follow what I'm doing and keeping up with my uh, day-to-day tips along the way.
0: Well, Shane, Stan, I can't thank you both enough for taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show incredibly good to have you here the the information outstanding and i hope uh, i can get uh, both of you to come back and join me again sometime soon chris i'd
2: love to do that i i appreciate all that you do and and, and being such a big fan of golf and promoting golf it's uh it, it's great to 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 play a small role here and i'm i'm always thrilled to talk with you i appreciate it so much wow
0: thank you very I've much had a,
1: i've had a good time chris Go ahead, thanks sir. for having me on
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Guys, take care. All the best to you and your families. I look forward to catching up with both of you soon. Thanks, Chris.
2: Best to you. You take care.
0: All right. You guys too. Bye. That's the great Shane LeBaron and Stan Utley. Folks, you want to talk about two of the best instructors on the planet from a short game perspective. I don't think it gets any better than, than these two guys. And uh, check them out both out online and on social media. Stan's app. Is something I'm looking forward to downloading because when I went back and I looked at some of the great things that he did, going back through the stuff with uh, with Craig Can, the, the instruction from a putting perspective, the the instruction from uh, from the, you know, just kind of around the green, the chip shots perspective is absolutely outstanding. Stuff that you know now all of a sudden I look at it and now I I'd say to myself, now I understand better why I was blading it. And um, the orange whip with the wedge on the on the bottom that uh, that he inspired is is a great training aid as well. So go check all of that out online, and hopefully we get to get both of those guys back on the show again real soon. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Tee. My sincere thanks go out to Perry French, Craig Can, Shane LeBaron, and Stan Utley for joining me. Please check out our website, nextonthetee.net. On there, you'll be able to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. You can also stream or download any of our archive episodes. We link back to our page back over on podcast.co. Those guys have been outstanding to us, as well as our friends over on Podbean. Can't thank them enough for featuring us right there in their golf section every week on their mobile app as well. You can also find the show on great sites like Launchpad, DM, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We're all over the net. So please check us out on whatever your you know, favorite golf podcasting site is. Folks, until next week, can't thank you enough. Come back and join us. Hit him straight, my friends.